And it, it is about the restoration uh, of, uh, of Israel and, uh, and, of course, of the nations as well. But it's quite clear from the scriptures that what we are participating in today, especially in a Messianic Jewish community, really is, uh, in a very tactile, real, physical way, uh, the, uh, uh, the restoration of the Jewish people. You know, um, Luke, uh, was, uh, he was a physician, right? But uh, like a lot of brilliant people, he was a, a two-career man, okay? He also was a writer, right? And so, uh, you know what he wrote in the Bible? He wrote Luke, right? Yeah, right, yeah. That's, and Acts, that right? someone said that, that's right. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts, that's right. And uh, they uh, have a lot to, they're very complementary. And actually, if, uh, the, te- if the uh, books were in a, uh, a little bit of a different order, uh, Acts should come right after Luke. It's supposed to. That's, that was the idea, that, that Acts comes right after Luke. And they have a lot to do with each other. You know, the tradition is, is that we like to say that Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels. But in one sense, that's true in talking about Yeshua in the line of kings. Okay, true. But Luke, in terms of messianic expectation, Luke and Acts really uh, are very Jewish books. At the beginning of uh, Luke, you know the story, I'm sure, that you know, Miriam, uh, Mary, she's pregnant, and uh, she needs some help in understanding how this could be, because this was supernatural. So who is it that comes to explain it? The very same angel that explained to Daniel his visions, and that is Gabriel, okay? That is no coincidence, all right? So we see in Luke chapter 1, uh, it says here, the angel, and the angel is uh, said, to, uh, said to have been Gabriel. You see that back in verse 25. Uh, but here in verse 30, it says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Yeshua. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, which was a euphemism for the king. The king, okay? Uh, And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And so clearly, Gabriel, uh, who uh, explained uh, the uh, fourth kingdom, the kingdom of God to Daniel, explains now to Mary, okay, this is the beginning, all right? Now, it's it's coming in a little bit of an unexpected kind of way. But this is indeed the beginning. Well, a number of things take place here, and one of them is the father of uh, the person who is uh, usually referred to as John the Baptist, right? You you know, Yochanan the Immerser, uh, John the Baptist. uh, uh, His father, for a season, is unable to speak, right? Then his mouth opens, and he can speak, and he says something very interesting in verse 60, uh, beginning in verse 68 of Luke chapter 1. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. 
And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before him all our days, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And then he, sp- and then he goes on to talk about his own son, uh, the role of his son, uh, John. But what he says about Yeshua is exactly what Jewish expectation is about who the Messiah, what the Messiah would do. He's going to deliver us from our enemies, uh, uh, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers, to remember the Holy Covenant. And this is how Luke describes the very beginning, the coming of the Messiah uh, of Israel. Now, when you look now at the beginning of the book of Acts, which he also wrote, well, actually, you know what I would like to read is the last three verses of Luke 24. Uh, actually, uh, as is uh, uh, my little cousin, my custom, let's go back to verse 48. Okay, and he says, um, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising God. All right? And that's how Luke ends. Now, if you turn to Acts chapter 1, you have them in Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, we see, uh, beginning in verse 4, And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. This is basically like the end of Luke, okay? The previous volume. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Baptized means immersed, basically. Immersed in water, now immersed with the Ruach HaKodesh. Not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Because that's the expectation. And that was indeed the expectation that you read at the beginning of Luke. <laughs> okay? Because after all, Yeshua is the king. And, uh, and Zacharias, John's father said he's the one who is delivering us from uh, our enemies. Okay, so it's a good question. And he said to them, it is not for you to know. You're not going to know when exactly, until you'll know when it happens. He said, it is not for you to know times or epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And then it says, And after uh, he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This was 40 days uh, after the resurrection of, of Yeshua. So basically, he says, just like Isaiah said, You are my witnesses. Wait here in Jerusalem. You're going to receive power from on high. According to the prophet Joel... God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all mankind. This pouring out of the Spirit is the promise of the Father. The pouring out of the Spirit was the sign 
of the, the beginning of the end, where they would receive this power to testify of the Lord. And as we saw this morning in Ezekiel 36, that God says, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, cause you to walk in my ways. Okay? So this is what they're waiting for, because when this happens, this is the beginning of the end. Okay? All right, so then uh, we have a little bit more narrative and so on. Uh, and then we come to chapter 2. And so now, it's ten days later, when the, uh, and it says, and when, and when Shavuot had come, when the day of Pentecost had come, when Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared on them, there, there you go, right? Uh, tongues of fire uh, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and began to speak with other languages, really, other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And this was, this was the sign. This was the beginning of the end. This is what Yeshua had said uh, on uh, uh, um, the previous um, uh, Sukkot, right? Uh, when he said, uh, rivers of living water will flow out of you. And then John uh, gives us the explanation, but this he spoke of the Spirit, right? Uh, and so this, this was it. Uh, and we see here, it, now it says, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, right? And then it says they all understood each other's language, and then it names a whole bunch of places. And it's interesting, in my Bible I have a little map here of where all these places are. And it's all around, all around, you know, in every direction, uh, all around Israel, all around Jerusalem, right? Uh, and so we have here this great picture of Jews from the four corners of the earth, so to speak, hearing this message, being filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the beginning of the restoration of Israel. Not every Jewish person from every corner uh, of the earth, that day will come, but it always begins with a remnant. Always, always, always begins with a remnant. And so, the beginning of the restoration of Israel. And that's how the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Acts kind of ties together, where Gabriel announces, uh, and we see uh, both Mary and Zacharias uh, give these great poetic utterances about uh, the, uh, uh, the coming of the Messiah. And here now, the Spirit of God is poured out. Now people are confused, and Peter gives a big speech. And he explains, this is what the prophet Joel was talking about. This is the eschaton. This is the beginning of, uh, you know, of the new era, right? The new covenant. This is the inauguration, the beginning of it. Now they thought, oh wow, okay. Then Yeshua is like, he'll be coming back at any moment now. Right, And it is very interesting that when you read through the entire Bidcharashah, that they did seem to have that expectation. And Paul, in his earliest writings, in his earliest letters, says things like, the dead in Messiah shall rise first, then we who are alive will be gathered together in the air. In other words, he had the expectation the Lord is going to return and he's going to be alive. But when you come to the, like, the real late letters that he wrote, like 2 Corinthians, then he says, well, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
I can't decide whether it's better to live or die, but I think I better stay here because uh, there's uh, more work to be done, you know. Uh, and, and, and so it's very interesting. Uh, toward the very end, he seems to have come to the understanding that this might take a little longer than was originally planned, right? And it just goes to show you that no one knows the times or the epics, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Not even Paul. See? Isn't that interesting? That means I don't either, by the way, nor do you, nor any writer of popular books. Okay? And, uh, and so nobody knows. However, we do know that we're called to be witnesses. Yeshua said, you shall be witnesses when the Ruach HaKodesh comes upon you. That is, every, that is our calling, to demonstrate the inauguration of this kingdom, of the restoration of Israel and the nations. See? So now, after all is said and done, after this happens, and they can all speak in their own languages, and everybody understands each other, this great sense of unity, this unbelievable supernatural unity that comes upon Israel, basically Israel and Judah, Jews everywhere, okay? Uh, it's not about the, this is not about the nations. This is all, these places that are mentioned are all places where Jews had come to Jerusalem from. And so it's speaking of this great unification of the Jewish people, okay? Uh, and, and then Peter gives this great message of, of uh, encouraging the people to, to repent. So then they respond. And their response is very interesting. And I think we can look at their response and then ask ourselves, what can Shavuot mean to us? Can we respond in that same way? So if you look now in Acts chapter 2, in verse 37, Peter's done. Now they're going to respond. So we see now, now when they heard this, okay, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Isn't that a great question? What do we do? You see, this was all new. This was something that maybe they heard about, Maybe they heard spoken, you know, as a teaching. And now it is finally like happening. This amazing moment has come. What, what do we do? How do we respond? What do we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Okay. He says, repent. Now it's very interesting. That is the first word that comes out of his mouth in response to them saying, what do we do? Because that is the first word that came out of the mouth of John the Baptist, when he started preaching as a forerunner of Yeshua. And it's the very first word that comes out of Yeshua's mouth as well in his earthly ministry. Repent. And Peter says it right here. Repent. Turn. Shuv. Turn. Turn from your sins. Turn to God. Or return. You know. A turn from your sins and return uh, 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 to God. Confess your sins. All this is, is involved in repentance. We don't need to slice it and dice it. That to repent means to turn back to God, to agree with God uh, about who I am and, and, uh, 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 and turn from my sins and, and face God. It doesn't mean to become perfect. Certainly none of these people were perfect, right? Uh, beginning or, or after, or none of us are either, right? But repentance is I'm turning to God and my desire is to serve him and walk toward him, okay? And so he says, repent. Repentance is the doorway in. Not a perfect life, okay? 
but repentance. Repentance can come in the form of saying something to God out loud. Uh, and, and frankly, I think that is really perhaps, although I've not read this, but my guess is that is the origins of when people talk about pray and ask the Lord to come into your life, pray, that, that the idea is a, that repent, you know, confess your sins. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. Lord, come into my life, you know, even though it's formu- uh, uh, formulamatic, formulaic, thank you. It's always good to have teachers hanging out. You know what I mean? You know? Uh, and uh, I, I, it, it does help us because it is important that we repent. That we don't just sort of, hmm, it all sounds kind of good. I think I'll just be part of this. We do need to repent. But there are no specific words that you say. And when God draws us to himself, we indeed do repent. It doesn't mean, again, that we become perfect or that we change all of our ways. But that there's a desire to. There's a desire to recognize sin for what it is and not rationalize it and say, I am coming to you and, and I'm going to live for you and to uh, follow your ways. That's why we say Messiah followers, right? And the scripture says that we need to continue to confess our sins. There's a sense of an initial repentance, but we're always repenting because none of us are indeed perfect. So he says repent. And let each of you be immersed in the name of Yeshua the Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins. Be immersed. This is mikvah. In the context, these were Jews who he's talking to. Okay? And that's what mikvah is, and that's where this uh, concept of baptism or immersion comes from. And when John was immersing people, it wasn't the fact that they were being immersed that was new. It was the reason, it was the message that was new. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now it's present. And so repent, you know, and be immersed. Because that is the outward manifestation of repentance. Immersion, right? In the name of Yeshua. Meaning, as opposed to, in the name of John, and it's sort of shorthand for, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh. You know, in other words, identify with that message, with Yeshua the Messiah, and his message, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's basically saying, in other words, receive the Lord into your life. But that's what it means to uh, be uh, to to embrace uh, the Lord is to repent, and the outward manifestation of that is immersion. And I would say, rather than explaining it away, we mean we need to take it more seriously. <laughs> you know. I, I, and that immersion is a very, very important part of that experience. It's an outward manifestation of that experience. Getting dunked in water doesn't make us a believer any more than saying words out of our mouth makes us a believer. What makes us a believer in Yeshua is the Ruach interacting with us and drawing us unto himself. Everything else is, is a fruit of that, and immersion is that. So, uh, early in August of this year, we will be uh, having a little immersion service right in front of our building with our little, our little pool that we uh, have, and, and, uh, and that's very important. It doesn't mean that you're not a believer in Yeshua, you, like you have to wait until that happens, but this is the, uh, the paradigm uh, that we have. 
Repent and be immersed in the name of Yeshua for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, is the sign of being part of the new covenant. And that's why you read that so much in the book of Galatians, in the Brit Hadashah. That what Paul is saying in Galatians is, uh, it is the Ruach uh, that is the sign that you are, so to speak, in the fold. And that's very important. Okay? Now, we see here, he says, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, and as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Oh, it's so packed with great theology. Uh, uh, but I'll just simply say here that this gift is for the whole world, is what he's saying. For people who are near and people who are far away, and to all whom God draws to himself. Not all who we manipulate into uh, saying a prayer or, uh, uh, you know, say words of trying to uh, uh, get people in, but the, those whom God brings to himself. Quite clear that God shall call to himself. And then it goes on uh, to say, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting him, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Be delivered. And that is the true meaning of that word. To be delivered from this generation, meaning from the, uh, the darkness, uh, the uh, attitudes, the ungodliness uh, of this generation, of this world, and belong to God. That when you uh, receive the Ruach HaKodesh, when you repent, and when you receive the Ruach HaKodesh, you're part of this new work that God is doing among our people. Okay? All right. And so then we see, look what happens. So then those who had received his word were immersed, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay? Now, it says, now the people, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread uh, and to prayer. That's the first part. Okay? So what were the people doing? As they were repenting, as they were believing, what do they do? What do these people do? They're continually devoting themselves to receiving teaching, to learning. I mean, when it says the, uh, to the apostles' teaching, they were learning what the apostles had to teach. Now, what is a, and a very interesting question. So what exactly were the apostles teaching, right? Well, nobody knows exactly what that was, but we have a pretty good idea from several different works from the first and second century. They were teaching probably the, the words of Yeshua. Uh, they were making disciples, just as Yeshua said to make disciples. They were teaching them uh, how indeed it is that Yeshua is the Messiah. They were teaching them how to live in the ways of the Lord. Uh, and, um, and the people were receiving the teaching. What does that tell us? It tells us that if we are Messiah followers, we need to pay attention and receive good teaching. Okay? We need to be under uh, the teaching of trusted leaders. All right? That's very important, uh, that we are disciples. Disciple means student. Now, that doesn't mean student like i got to pass the test or I'm in or I'm out not in any way, shape, or form, but that we are students of the Word of God, of uh, healthy teaching. Now, then it also says, uh, and to fellowship. 
Fellowship, koinonia, sharing with one another on all the different kinds of level that sharing takes place. Whether it be sharing our lives uh, with each other, uh, you know, praying with one another, eating meals with one another, that's covered in, in a number of these different terms. But in fellowship with one another. And that is something that only Messiah followers can experience with each other. It's not exactly the same thing as friendship, okay? Nor is it the same thing as being married to somebody. Fellowship is what Messiah followers experience together. Because you see, the Ruach HaKodesh lives in me, and the very same Ruach HaKodesh lives in you. And so there is an organic relationship that we have with each other uh, that is not because we like each other, we're attracted to each other, or we like bowling or skiing or scuba diving or whatever it might be, okay? Uh, no, it's because of there's a spiritual organic unity that we have because God dwells in us and we're part of this invisible uh, uh, community of Messiah followers. But in order to experience it, you have to be together. In other words, it's real. Uh, and so it's not uh, just simply uh, because someone uh, is a believer and lives in Bolivia, and I'm a believer, believer and I live here, that automatically I'm having fellowship with them. Well, on some level, you know, perhaps, but this is talking about a dynamic level where we know each other and there is this sharing of spiritual things together, okay? Then it says, to the breaking of bread, and that means one of two things, but my guess is it's not one or the other, but kind of both, and that is sharing meals together in the context of the Lord, meaning what we call Messiah's table as part of a larger meal, that not just grabbing a meal together, like friends would, but eating together as people in fellowship would. Okay? Now, in order to do those things, in order to devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to breaking the bread and to prayer, and by the way, speaking of, of uh, a prayer, means they prayed with each other varieties of things, but the point is they prayed with each other. They did this together. All these things were not done uh, uh, separately, but together. And then it says, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. The apostles were this unique group of people, and all kinds of things were taking place, and people were sensing this awe that, that amazing things were happening. It was the beginning of something very unique and special. Then it says, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Okay? Now, that does not necessarily mean everybody sold every single thing that they have and and no one ever owned anything ever again. All right? Usually we go to extremes when we read things like this. No, the point is, is that people share. They had a radical sense of sharing with one another because a radical thing was happening. Radical teaching 
radical fellowship, radical meals, radical prayer. And this worked itself out into they realized that they were the foundation of this new thing, this body of Messiah. And so, uh, this is all about a radical unity. So we need to ask ourselves, uh, uh, where do we stand in all of this? On Shavuot, we need to ask ourselves, uh, okay, this is the result of the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh. Where do we stand as individuals and as a community? First of all, as individuals, we have to ask ourselves, do I simply see myself as an individual? Or do I really see myself as part of a larger group? We are called to see ourselves as part of one another. Now, it is impossible as a human being to be part of something that is made up of billions of people and really consider ourselves like organically related. But in a small group of people, or smaller group of people, we can do that. That's why they met mostly in houses. See? Their goal was not to build a building and put as many people as possible in it, but it was to come together to eat and to share and to study and to make sure that needs are met. That was the outward, outpouring manifestation of the Ruach HaKodesh. And this is, in a way, the barometer by which we are called to look at our uh, selves. Then it goes on to say, and day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. <laughs> First of all, one mind. They were, there was a, a real sense of unity of the Spirit here. But in the temple. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. They did not separate themselves from the rest of the Jewish world. Their understanding was they're in the Jewish world. And the Messiah, our Jewish Messiah, has come. That doesn't mean to separate ourselves but to participate in this community. And so, we also need to take that into our own thinking uh, and say, you know, are we continuing with one mind? In the, are we dwelling in this community, uh, but as Messiah followers? See, that's what they did. They're dwelling in the larger Jewish community, of people that rejected Yeshua, but they all came together as Messiah followers and encouraged one another, built up one another met each other's needs, prayed for uh, one another, ate meals together, all of that great sharing and building up uh, in the Spirit of God. A foretaste, one might say, of the world to come. The beginning of the restoration of Israel. They were experiencing the beginning of that restoration. And that is what we are called to do as well. And there is no group like them but us a messianic group of people. And so then it says, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were eating and enjoying each other's company. That is a great thing. It is a great thing for us to do. Eating, when we have the oneg, that is, a, that is doing what those early believers did. We're sharing a meal together. We're having fellowship together. We've just sung songs together. We hear a message together. We're encouraging one another together. Aye, how much better can it be? And the greater that we are walking with the Lord, the greater that fellowship will be. The more that we come, whenever we come together, when we come filled 
And when we come rejoicing, we have something to offer to each other. And the stronger we become, and the greater testimony we become, and the greater light uh, we uh, indeed uh, become. And it says then, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And you know, it is very interesting. I can't think, uh, it just came into my mind. But uh, yeah, I have a book, I think it's called, or I used to have it somewhere, called Evangelism in the First Century. Green was the author's name. And uh, it's a, he talks about, from all these early, early sources, what it was, how that the early believers uh, demonstrated life and Messiah. And it was this joy, and it was this meeting together, and it was singing together and rejoicing with one another. Uh, and that, indeed, was what was drawing the people. What was drawing the people? It was praying. It was the teaching. It was the um, breaking of bread, the fellowship, and the demonstration uh, of the presence of God in their midst. And you know, uh, just finally, as a little bit of a reminder, in uh, Philippians, the book of Philippians, Paul says this, and this really is, uh, in, in a way, an extension of that. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things we could say, but I'm just going to say those, those things. But in uh, Philippians chapter 2, he says, here we go, in verse 12, so then, in uh, Philippians 2, 12, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children above, the, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. We appear as lights in the world to our people. Not as, not as we bang them over the head and prove them wrong, you know, very few people have ever, ever uh, decided to embrace Yeshua by losing an argument. You know what I mean? But, but it, is, it is being wooed into this kingdom by seeing this life demonstrated. You know? Did you ever notice in the Gospels, in the stories of Yeshua, the people who he's actually uh, leading to himself, who are believing in him, right? They are the people who are, uh, we talked about this in the Torah study today, they were often the people who were the, um, the outcasts. But what did Yeshua do? He went over to their house and ate. He would uh, talk to them. He would, he would speak to them. He would then teach them. Uh, and in this way, people were, so to speak, wooed into the kingdom. They wanted what he had to offer. And as uh, our world, as our community sees, boy, there's something different about that Beth Messiah. It's not about... Uh, the hour of the day or the technique or things of that nature. Ultimately, what is it? It is the Ruach HaKodesh empowering us to demonstrate this life. And that is what we remember on Shavuot. That is what happened on Shavuot 21 or so centuries ago. And on Shavuot, we need to be reminded this is the life that we are called to demonstrate as well. And isn't it a wonderful thing that you know, 
We, are, we do it imperfectly, warts and all, but indeed be encouraged. We are engaged in that work, but let's keep going. As we like to say, we're always in the process of becoming, and let us keep moving forward, our eyes fixed on Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, as we see what happened on this date, approximately 2,100 years ago. Lord, may we respond in the same way. May we be continually devoted to the teaching of the apostles, as we read in the Brit Hadashah, as we study in the, in the Word of God. May we continually be devoted to fellowship with one another. May we be continually devoted to eating together and having Messiah's table together, remembering what Yeshua did for us. And may uh, we continually be devoted to prayer with one another, one another, one another. Lord, and thank you, God, that you are indeed building us up, that you are indeed adding to our numbers. But Lord, it is not us, it is not technique, it is you, Lord, drawing people to yourself to this place. And we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that we are part of the beginning of the restoration of the Jewish people. And we pray in Messiah's name.